This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Boy, we are full of different fandoms this week. It's episode 455 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James with them. I'm going to talk fast here because there's a lot going on on the show this week. Yvonne Chapman's going to join me to talk about season three of Kung Fu, that show coming back to the CW here in a couple of days. She's going to talk about Jilan and all the things that are going on with her this season. I've also got Kendar Blake who's the author of a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer book from Disney Books. It's One Girl in All the World, which is a continuation of the Next Generation Buffy story. If you're not familiar with it, you're going to get pretty familiar with it this week. Also, the creators of Aqua Teen Hunger Force going to join me this week to talk about Aqua Teen Hunger Force, or I should say Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm going to HBO Max and, of course, coming up on Adult Swim as well. Those are the big interviews this week. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about the DC slate that was announced by James Gunn recently. We'll break that down in more detail. Also, a couple of big reviews this week. I'm going to talk about Wakanda Forever and going to talk about the Harley Quinn and the Joker Sound Mind podcast that dropped this past week. Yeah, so a lot going on. Let's get it started with Yvonne Chapman. Let's talk about Kung Fu Season 3 next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's been a great season three so far of Kung Fu. We just saw the mid-season finale, which was amazing for this third season. We got to wait till February, though, which is kind of a bummer. But Jilan is back, and big things are happening for her, especially. I can't wait to talk to Yvonne Chapman about this. Yvonne, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. So I got to ask you, though, because you've been on quite a ride since like the very beginning, since season one, since the very first episode of season one on Kung Fu. So you look back on the end of season two, which was fantastic. When Jilan sa- sacrifices herself to take down Russell Tan, did you kind of think that might be the end for you or did you know it wasn't? I was very fortunate that right before the episode came into our email inboxes <laughs> that uh, the showrunners, Bob and Christina, gave me a call. They're like, 
just so you know, it's it's gonna read that she's dead, but she's not. I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so I had I had the heads up that there was something else in the works for her. But you know, thankfully we did have a season three. And if we didn't, I was really grateful that there would be like a, a nice way out for her. But no, this season three has been been really wonderful. I'm glad she gets another crack at it. It's interesting because that was kind of like her redemption moment right there. But now you're in full on redemption mode with this arc that you're on right now. So going from Nikki's biggest rival to kind of fighting side by side with her, that's really interesting. So did you kind of feel like that was a natural transition or was it a bit strange at first? I think it it, it felt natural over the course of three seasons, but I would say that it, it was season two that really solidified it because season one, we I had no idea that I would be coming back or not. She really was written as that season's big villain and to be continue on her story was was such a pleasure so yeah I think in a way there's been comments on in season three from you know crew like did you ever think that you'd be here in the Shen family household <laughs> and no I, I wasn't sure that that was going to happen at all in season one but now it's starting to feel like it's more it makes more sense she showed up at the door with that bottle of wine and I'm like what that's just that that never thought I'd see that so that was interesting <laughs> yeah that yeah. was that- that's a very cool moment. So what's also interesting, though, is that after what's been happening with Zhao and with Bo, Nikki's kind of gone a bit in the opposite direction now. So what's it kind of been like watching her take a little bit of a darker turn this season? I think I don't want to speak for her, but from from what I've gathered, it's been a lot of fun for Olivia. I think it's been a lot of fun for all of us to to see that side of her. And again, it just speaks to more of the richness of what people are that they're no not just one thing and not that she ever was but it's nice to see that that kind of boundary of her being pushed a bit you know and since like Jilan's kind of she's kind of like been there before she's been on that darker side because you think she could be like kind of like the key to kind of bring Nikki back a little bit to to where she was I think she has a role to play in that I don't know if I would say that she's potentially the key but I think because she understands and recognizes where exactly that Nikki's coming from, there's a there's a, a sympathy there for her struggle and understanding that, hey, at least I'm there as a physical presence of a reminder that if you choose to go down that path, you can go down it in a very dark way, which I don't think Nikki would, you know. But having said that, I think it's a nice reminder to, as a physical presence for her to be like, mm, this is kind of the red herring there. Yeah, and I've been there, done that sort of relatability. I think that that is going to be really key to this, the last few episodes of this third season. Speaking of Bo, though, what was your reaction to finding out that he was the harvester all this time? Because when I saw that, I was like, whoa, really? Wow. I know. What a twist, huh? But what I really loved about uh, Bo's storyline is that they gave Similar to actually what Jalan was in season one is that you understood exactly why he did it. This was, Xiao was almost a mother figure to him and somebody who was his mentor and really groomed him from a very young age to believe in the things that he did. So it was understandable, even though he did some horrible things, he didn't do it knowingly. And I think that's what the key was to that. One of my favorite fight scenes of the season, by the way, was the fight scene with you and with Nikki. And with with the harvester that when they when you that confrontation in the woods, I thought that was a great great scene. What was it like being a part of that and the choreography for that thing? Because you guys have got a great team with the choreography. Oh my gosh, we really do have such a fantastic team. They are so mindful of where each character is in their particular journeys, and they always ask us on like what we need to incorporate for that to feel a lot more authentic in that journey process. So in that particular time, it was. 
the first time that you get to see Jicky again, <laughs> as people have been calling, you know, Nikki and Jalan together. I love so that. that. Yeah, me too. So it was it was a nice welcoming back of of that dynamic. So it seems like the last thing left in Jilan's re- redemption is kind of see paling again. How frustrating is it for her that the reunion seems to get snatched away from her every time she gets just so close to it and then it just gets yanked right out from under her? <sighs> Girl can't win, huh? <laughs> for real, though. <laughs> she needs a break. All she wanted was just a dinner with some wine, <laughs> maybe some good some good family cooking, you know? It is incredibly frustrating. And so she's gone down this road of like, she just cares about saving Pei Ling. And now that she finally has a semblance of a family back in Pei Ling and finding her way into you know, the Shen family household as well, to have that uprooted from her so suddenly is so jarring that it kind of brings her back into that familiar familiar mindset that we've seen Jalan in seasons one and two of that single-mindedness of like, I have to save her. And that's what it's going to be about for her for the rest of the season. Talking to Yvonne Chapman, who of course plays Jiling on Kung Fu, which returns on February the 8th for the thrilling last few episodes of season three. Now, Yvonne, I, so we know that Jin is return, is running for office right now, which has been a very interesting story arc in itself. And he's been kind of reluctant to fight dirty a little bit. And so it had me wondering, what do you think Julan would be like as a politician? Oh, my goodness. That'd be so interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I would that that's that's money I would spend to see uh, that to me would be very, very interesting. You know, I, I said this to our showrunner, Christina, when we're talking about Jalan's arc, and maybe this will lend to how she would behave in this situation. But you know, when someone's just like trying to be good and morally right, and but for her, because she's always done things in a certain way, and it's been kind of like quicker and easier for her to kind of go down the other route, so to speak, I always likened it to kind of being like on a diet, like when you're trying to be good. And then I, I, there's this key word, I'm like, <laughs> you know, if you want her to go to that dark side, just say Doritos and we'll go there. That's all a director <laughs> needs funny. to say. Just say Doritos. So like I could just imagine her trying to be in office and there's going to be moments of like, I just want to open the bag of Doritos. Let's just open that can of whatever, you know. But, or you'd um, be opening a can of something, as you line. That, yeah. That'd be for sure. Yeah, that, that would be her cheat meal. It'd be to take somebody down for being oh, stupid. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be fun, actually. I, I like that idea. James. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. I'd love to see that. So is there anyone in the cast, you've got to work with so many people on the cast and it is a wonderful cast, but is there anyone in the, in the show you haven't gotten to work with a lot that you'd really like to have more scenes with at some point? You know, I haven't had a lot of scenes with, um, with Ty and with Kang, the mom and dad of it all. And, and they're so good. And it's only in this last season that I actually have gotten to be in the room with them on set a few times. That's three years in the making. So hopefully if we get another season, there might be a little bit more interaction there, but we'll have to see. It's funny too, because when she walks in the room, that was one of my first things that I thought was, how are they going to react to her being here? Like they're a welcoming family for sure, but their reaction to you being there was something I felt kind of kind of snatched away from us as a viewer. So did you kind of feel that a little bit too in that, in, in saying that, did it kind of feel like, okay, here's our chance to see how the parents are going to react to who was like the big bad of season one going after their daughter. Now here she is with a bottle of wine saying, stop, what's for dinner? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, it's, it is. It, yeah. It's, I think it's a moment that got robbed from Jalan as well to understand what that's like, because in the moment leading up, 
she was really nervous. She was like fixing her hair. She's like, oh God, like, what is this going to be like? And we never got to play that out because of the unfortunate circumstances around Pei Ling. So maybe in the future, we'll see. Definitely meant something to her though, which was an interesting little tease for what we're going to be seeing in the rest of these episodes. Speaking of which, I feel like there's so many things to unpack still in the final episodes of this third season. So how would you describe, of course, no spoilers, how would you describe the rest of season three? It is going to... You're right. It is going to jam-pack a lot of, I think, things that need to be resolved in certain dynamics of the characters. So, And you're also going to see characters in a way that you've never seen them before. So that is also to come. I mean, the last episode was definitely a tease of that because we got to see Nikki in such a different light. And now you're going to see other characters in a different way, too. That'll be really, really interesting. Another thing, though, I'm really excited about for you and and for us to see as well is Netflix's Avatar The Last Airbender series, which you're going to be a part of in live action, which I think everybody's really, really psyched about. I know you can't say much, but how excited are you to bring Kyoshi to life in live action? Because that I think that's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, I've only got to see snippets of it. And, you know, when I when I went on set, people take pictures of like the monitor for, you know, continuity and things like that. It looks really, really cool. So I'm really stoked to see it myself. Because I've only gotten just a little snapshot of it. But from what I've seen, I think it's going to be really great. I just really hope the fans like it. I know there's a big fandom around it and the expectations are high. But I really do think that the team behind it has tried to stay true to the original contact and the source material. And I'm just really proud that I get to be a part of that. I mean, I love Kiyoshi. I read the books. She's amazing. Her backstory is so rich. And what a great character to play. So I'm just really fortunate to be a part of it. Wait until you get into the conversation of, is she the most powerful of all of them? Because eventually that conversation is going to be had because it's already right. been had in the past. So wait till you're a part of that conversation. That'll be fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. <laughs> what, what I love about that character too is she has such an iconic look though. And I think that that's one thing that really sets her apart too from some of the other characters. So have you had that first reaction of, oh my gosh, this is how I look as this character? Have you gotten that look yet? Have you gotten that shot yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I because we went in for the hair, makeup and wardrobe tests before we started shooting because they really wanted to get it right. It's incredible. I don't recognize myself in it, which is actually quite a dream because it's, you know, once you embody and put that all on, that's the other side of the equation to any character. And they really went all all out for the details of this. So ah, I just I'm just excited to see other people's reactions of it. Anyway, I don't think anybody is going to be disappointed in her look. We are busting at the seams to find out what that's going to look like. We (laughs) won't find out until sometime in 2023 yet, though. We don't have a release date yet, but Netflix say it's probably going to be sometime in 2023. But speaking of 2023, we'll get this a little bit earlier. February 8th, that's when Kung Fu Season 3 returns to the CW. Make sure you're watching it live. Then again on the CW app as well, because we want a Season 4. So you got to watch as much as you can. Let them know, hey, we want Season 4 because we need to know what Jilong's up to. Yvonne, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. appreciate it. Oh, thanks, James. It's so fun. It really has been a bit of a different and surreal season of Kung Fu, but I love how they're shaking it up here a little bit in this third season and things, again, getting ultra personal as if they weren't already for Nikki and the Shen family and having Jilan in the mix and seeing a different side of her this season, or at least a di- her put in a different place this season has been very, very interesting. So make sure you're watching the return of Kung Fu season three. It's going to be happening on February the 8th on the CW and it's going to be a wild ride 
to the season three finale, I'm sure. Again, thanks to Yvonne Chapman for joining me this week to talk about a little Kung Fu season three. Up next, going to do things a little bit different because it was such a big story this week. Going to get right to my talk about the DC Comics, DC Studios slate. I will do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Sobolov, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Sometimes big news is just going to take precedent. And I know this is a little bit early for nerd news, but this is a special edition because the DC Studios first slate was announced by James Gunn this past week. And I definitely want to talk about these 10 projects and more that were surrounding this. Now, it's actually going to be done in chapters. This first chapter actually going to be called Gods and Monsters. And James Gunn assured us this isn't even the full slate of things. This is just a little bit of a taste of what's going on. Now, uh, you've seen the video probably. I'm not going to run down the entire thing for, for, with you, you know, from top to bottom. But we do know, it is confirmed now, that the Flash movie will reset the universe and that happens, of course, on June the 16th, 2023. That's when The Flash comes out. That'll reset things. And then Blue Beetle will be the first movie after that on August the 18th, 2023. I do think it's interesting that Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom comes after that and is part of the post-reset thing. So that, to me, is really interesting. And that also kind of makes me think that Jason Momoa is going to stay as Aquaman. I know James Gunn has said that, but there's all kinds of you know, Lobo rumors flying around and everything like that. And James Gunn said he won't play two characters. So that's something that we'll have to keep our eye on going forward. But we do have the announcement of a bunch of the new projects, and I really want to focus on that. So first, I'm just going to run them down for you. I know I said I wasn't going to do that, but I want to do this really quickly. We're going to have a Creature Commandos. That seems like it's going to be the first one. It is a seven-episode animated series. Amanda Waller puts a black ops team together of these monstrous prisoners. And, you know, it's almost like a monstrous version of the Suicide Squad. And James Gunn has written all those episodes. And I'll dive in a little bit more on that here in a few minutes. Waller, Amanda Water, Waller going to get her own live-action series as well. Viola Davis going to reprise her role there. Team Peacemaker going to be a part of that thing as well then you've got superman legacy which was the big movie that we found out the release date for actually it's the only movie we actually got a release date for that's going to be july 11th of 2025 superman legacy basically going to focus on superman a younger superman kind of struggling to balance his kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing and things like that i think that that's going to be a perfect way to introduce this new superman into the universe We've also got Booster Gold, which is the live action series. It's going to be coming as well. And, you know, I'm no Booster Gold fan, but of course I'll give it a shot. And I think if anybody could do the character of Booster Gold justice, it is James Gunn. Continuing along here, we've also got Lanterns. That is confirmed. The Green Lantern series is still going to be happening. It's going to focus on Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. You've got The Authority, which I know fans are really excited about. That's actually going to be a movie about the authority and I know that fans are really excited for the possibility of Apollo and Moon Knighter in, in in live action. I know that's one thing that fans have been waiting for for a long, long time. You've, you've also got Paradise Lost, which is the basically the set in Themyscira. It's supposed to be Game of Thrones-esque. So it is that Amazon series that's kind of been bantied about for a while. Looks like that's still going to be happening. Batman is coming and it's going to be the brave and the bold. It's going to be focusing on Batman, you know, in his relationship with his son, Damien. So that's, so we're going to get a Robin and it's going to be Damien 
And of course, I'll get into all this here in a second. I was really surprised and excited that they're going to have Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, the Tom King and Bill Quist Everly story. That was just such a fantastic comic. That's going to be a new movie that's going to be coming up. And we'll look at a live action Swamp Thing as well in movie form. There's also going to be a DC Elseworld stuff. Everything that's outside of this main continuity. And remember, everything's going to be connected now in DC. But there's also going to be Elseworld stuff. That's where Joker, that's where the Batman will live, Teen Titans go, Superman and Lois, and things like that. So that's where that stuff is going to live. So that stuff will still exist. But if I look at this slate, and I'm looking, I want to start with Creature Commandos first. This is one of those opportunities. I actually tweeted something out on January the 24th. If you follow me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, at James Ace Witham. That's my Twitter handle. And I said, you know, I'm actually surprised that DC hasn't done more with the Frankenstein character because the DC version of Frankenstein has always been very interesting, you know, the Ages of Shade and things like that in the comics. And I, I was just surprised that they've never really done anything with that. And I kind of tagged James Gunn in that. And then you look at the lineup for Creature Commandos, or at least the one that they sort of presented in the artwork that came out. And Frankenstein is a part of that. Of course, you got Bride of Frankenstein as well, who's a part of this team. If you're not familiar with the Creature Commandos, you've got Rick Flagg Sr., Dr. Phosphorus is a part of that team. There's been GI Robots and Weasel are one of the kind of constant members of this team as well. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind, though. James Gunn also said that the characters that are going to, the, the actors that are going to voice these characters will also be the actors that will play them in live action to maintain the continuity, which I think is smart. But at the same time, and somebody brought this up on social media, and I'm always a big advocate for voice actors and voice acting. I think what they do is phenomenal. They put in such hard work. I do think this hurts voice actors a little bit, and that's kind of sucky. That's kind of unfair. I guess, you know, keeping continuity is very, very important. And there are some certainly very talented actors that are also very talented voice actors as well. And that's not to say, by the way, that voice actors can't play in live action either. I mean, Troy Baker's a perfect example of that. You know, he plays Joel in The Last of Us. He's the voice of Joel. And then he is a part of this live action Last of Us series. Now, is he playing Joel? No, but at the same time, he's part of the show. So Troy Baker's an example of somebody that can that can certainly do both. And there's a lot of voice actors that can do both as well. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that that could happen. But you look at some of these characters too, and you just think Frankenstein in live action, that would have to be a lot of CG, wouldn't it? So there, it's not like we couldn't see a voice actor play a character like that GI robot, same thing. Like, you know, you see Brendan Fraser playing robot man on on Doom Patrol, but he's not the guy in the suit. He just provides the voice in live action. So I do think that there are some instances here where we still will see voice actors as the as the main leads for this. But I, it's a good point to be brought up that maybe this kind of screws over voice actors a little bit here. But let's let's kind of let's kind of ease up on that a little bit until we really know what's going to be happen, happening with this creature commandos. But if you look at the slate as a whole, this is very ambitious. And very, very different, by the way. This is, and again, this is just a sum of the projects that have been announced. This isn't everything. But if you look at some of the stuff that's on here, like Creature Commandos is a perfect example. And then you've got Swamp Thing, Paradise Lost, and Booster Gold. These are not, there's not a lot of marquee names on here for the newer stuff. And there's not a lot of names that a lot of people 
were recognized. Like even non-DC fans, you know who Batman is. You know who Superman is. That's kind of where it ends, I think. And I know uh, Green Lantern fans are going to yell at me and Supergirl fans are going to yell at me. I get that. But it's not instantly recognizable. Now, I know Marvel kind of did the same thing when they first started up with Marvel Studios. And starting with Iron Man was a bit of a risk for them as well. But at the same time, you don't see a lot of marquee names as far as characters go on this thing. But I think the more I think about it, the more I'm like, maybe that's a good thing. Because there's already enough pressure for this to work as it is. And you've already tried it the other way with all these recognizable characters. You might as well try and do something a little bit different and focus on projects that you think can be creative and interesting. And James Gunn said in his video, he said, you know, story is important above everything, basically. And if you look at James Gunn's history, he has a way of transforming more obscure characters into something that gets a much larger than you might have expected. Peacemaker is a perfect example of that on HBO Max. Peacemaker was a fringe character at best. And this was a character you saw all over social media every week with these episodes. Hell, even the intro for the show was trending forever. And people are recreating that dance still to this day. And maybe you think, well, you know, that's kind of a goofy way to, to, to get a character out there. It doesn't matter. The character's out there. And it's more popular than it's ever been. And that's because of, you know, and it's not just James Gunn. There's a whole team involved here t- t- as well. But at the same time, largely he was responsible for that. He was the one that took one of the first big, big risks in the MCU with Guardians of the Galaxy. There was no guarantee the Guardians of the Galaxy was going to work. That could have blown up in Marvel's faces easy. But James Gunn not only made it work, but made it work to perfection. And now we're going to a third Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Now, maybe you're a Guardians of the Galaxy fan from the comics, and you're thinking, well, you always expected that. None of us, none of the rest of us did. I can tell you that right now. So that's a testament to, again, what James Gunn is able to do with certain characters. So when you give him a project like Creature Commandos, like Paradise Lost, and things like that. Yes, Themyscira is a familiar setting, but will Wonder Woman to be a part of this, or even a huge part of this? I don't. I can't guarantee you that. I don't know that Wonder Woman's going to be a big part of Paradise Lost. I think it's just going to focus mostly on the Amazons. That would be my guess. And yeah, you might love Midnight or Apollo, but most people don't know those characters. So when you bring up something like The Authority, and it's more than just the two of them, but those are two highlight characters in that when you bring up the authority and a team that's gonna you know justice at all costs sort of thing so they want to do they want the world to be a better place but they're willing to go a little bit further than most heroes to do that that's kind of the basis of the characters of the authority you know and it's a good premise but again these are not characters that people are very familiar with so there's a little bit of a challenge there but again i go back to maybe that's a good thing because when you give somebody a batman movie you're automatically putting pressure on that project. When you give somebody a Superman movie, you're automatically putting huge amount of pressure in that project. So not leading with Superman as the first one, I think is really, really smart. It's almost like easing your way in to a pool or something like that. Right? Like you don't jump into a jacuzzi, right? You ease your way in. You know that that warm water is going to be nice. You know you're going to be sit there and relax. And I love a good hot tub, right? But you don't dive into it. You ease your way in 
to that comfort. And I think that's what they're doing here with this first chapter, Gods and Monsters, of DC Studios. You're kind of easing your way in. And by the way, who knows when we're going to get Creature Commandos? Because the animation takes a while. They've already, I'm sure, been working on this. But we don't have any announced cast or anything like that. And rumor has that they've already casted some people. And they've already, you know, there's already rumors that James Mangold's going to handle Swamp Thing. But those are rumors. None of that stuff is confirmed. So you have to imagine they, they at least have an idea of who they want and what they want to do with these projects. But to start with something like Creature Commandos, there's going to be very little pressure on that to succeed. There's a lot of pressure for this overall initiative to succeed, but there's not going to be a ton of pressure on creature commandos. And this is going to be something that it's going to draw people's attention because you want to see how things start out, right? You want to see how this new universe is going to sort of begin. And I know that the first movie after it's going to be blue beetle. I know that, but really it feels like the first new beginning of this because blue beetle wasn't made under James Gunn and Peter Safran's watch. They just decided it was good enough to stick around, unlike the Batgirl movie. So, that's why this is going to be the first project under the new DC Studios. And I think that that's that's a smart thing to do. But again, the first real start to this is going to be Creature Commandos, it seems like. So, again, very, very smart for them to do that. Yeah, there's characters that people are going to know. People already know Amanda Waller from past movies, and Viola Davis is fantastic, so it's hard to argue her sticking around. And there's he even said he said you know some actors are going to stick around and some won't. And we'll you know we're kind of reveal that sort of as we go. So I think that this is really smart. I w- if if I would have had one wish, is that the Lantern show and it's going to focus on John Stewart and Hal Jordan. I don't know that I would have bothered with Hal Jordan. I know that that's something that's a bad taste that DC wants to get out of our mouth after the whole experience with the Ryan Reynolds movie. I get that. You want to get that uh, you you want to write that wrong. I understand. You could do a Lantern series without Hal Jordan. But I think that if as long as they put I think the more of the focus should have been uh, on John Stewart for this. I really hope that it is. Uh, we've seen that in animation, we've seen that in other things. I really really hope that's what they decide to do with this Lantern series and Hal Jordan is is maybe there but not a big part of it. He said we're going to see other Lanterns as well. So I, I am kind of a little bit nervous about that. But the the stories they seem like they want to tell is the focus is going to be on, it seems like in this first chapter, let's do something different and see how it goes. Because what's the worst that could happen? You're already, the DC's already kind of been a laughing stock as far as movies are concerned for a long, long time. Not just not being able to keep continuity together, but not being able to consistently put out really good movies it, you know, especially in the beginning of each of their slates. And the Snyder, Snyder fans need to calm down, okay? It's over. It's over for you. This is officially it. It is over for the Snyderverse. You had your chance. You had your little moment in the sun. It's time to stop now. The whole fire James Gunn thing before you even see anything happening is ridiculous. It's time to let this go. It's time to move on. And let's see where we can go. Zack Snyder is not the be-all, end-all of amazing storytelling in DC. He's had his moments. He did some good things. He did some bad things. He is not the god of all storytelling of DC. We need to finally let this go. Let it be a thing of the past and see where this future takes us. And I'm very excited to see how this is going to play out over the course of the next several years. 
That's going to do it for my big discussion on the DC Studios slate that was announced by James Gunn and, of course, Warner Brothers Discovery and all that. Up next, going to get back to the interviews. Speaking of Warner Brothers Discovery, going to talk to the creators of Aqua Teen Hunger Force about Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm. I'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Aqua Teen Hunger Force is back, and it was recently in 4K with Aqua Teen Forever Plantasm, which was released on 4K a couple of months ago and on digital HD. Now you're going to be able to see it on HBO Max on February the 8th, also coming soon to Adult Swim. So happy to have the guys that created these characters along with me this week. It's Dave Willis and Matt Mylaro. Thank you, guys. How's it going? Hey, how are you? Guys, Aqua Teen's been around for like two decades now. One of the original Adult Swim series. Did you guys think 20 years later, you guys would still be telling Aqua Teen stories? Yeah, we did. Yes. In fact, we've said this is a 40-year plan. We want to (laughs) create a show that lasts one season longer than The Simpsons and that you know, stops when we both collapse from aneurysms in our 70s. We're halfway there to our goal. You guys must have made those cups and fry boxes out of some amazing stuff to get them to last that long. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. But, but I mean, what, what is it about this show, though, that key and, and these movies as well that just keeps fans coming back for more, you think? Because they're so good and funny. <laughs> See, it's just it's just that simple. I mean, it's, it's that simple. simple. You know, we knew this 20 years ago. Dave and I met. 35 years ago and said in 15 years, because this idea is so good and funny, we we can't start it until 15 years later or else it would have been earlier that we had started it. (laughs) There you go. But you would have caught the Simpsons faster. So then that would have, you know, you would have been able to. We're going to have to enter the multiverse to catch the Simpsons. We're going to have to do go through a time warp, a time worm, which I could explain, but it would take the entire length of the podcast in order to do (laughs) that. Well, you know what? You, you've guys, you guys got more movies to make, so you can, you can, you can explain it there, and then fans will love it. So there's, there's another thing that you can do. One thing what I we've love been about doing is going into the future, taking their ideas for for episodes, and then using them on Aqua Team. They've been doing it to everybody else for years, including history. So there you go. So that's that's certainly something that you could do. One thing though, I love about this new one, Plantasm, is that it feels very relevant. There's a lot of wonderful satire in this thing. How'd you guys come up with this idea? We stole it when we were in the future. The Simpsons were working on this exact thing. <laughs> Luckily, with our technology at the Malero Willis Institute, we were able to go out there. You know what I mean by out there? Take it from them 
And then we went back even before we started the movie to write it. But unfortunately, by putting the movie out, now we've changed history. And it snowballs. And we don't know what this could happen. Have you guys learned nothing from The Flash? Come on, you can't, you can't just go back and you can't go to the future and change things as weird stuff happens. Uh, I know. That's what Time Cop was exactly that. You know, because eventually somebody's going to say that it was aliens and the guy from Ancient Aliens is going to show up and he's going to try and convince us that it was aliens that gave you guys these ideas. And a whole bunch of stuff's going to start snowballing here. Yeah, well, I think we're in trouble, but we're at an inflection point down here in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) You guys guys have been causing trouble for a while, so it's fine. We're we're used to it. It's okay. Yeah. Boston, that happened. I love it. I love it. So we see that the team's finally kind of been pushed to their limits in this one, and they've gone their separate ways at this point, which we kind of saw in the trailer. So no, no real spoilers there. But how much fun was it to kind of explore how they would do without each other in this one? Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was, it was great. Shake actually was right for once. I don't think he's ever been right in, over the course of the entire uh, series. Of course, he reminds everyone of that. Yeah, yeah, it was... It, it was a fun story. It was a very uh, little broader, you know, a little three act structure. We're not used to that. Usually we, we sort of have a half act structure that, and then we blow up the house. This is a little bit more, we bought a bunch of screenplay books and learned how to write one. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. What's ironic is you guys still kind of blew up the house. You just made it biodegradable this time. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> True. There's, there's an earth first way to blow up a house and, and, that's the way we chose to do it this time around. <laughs> you just chose the progressive route this time. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. There's plenty of familiar faces, though, in Plantasm, which I love. But who are some of your favorite new characters that, got, that you got to introduce us this time around? Uh, oh, Walter Hauser's character was great. He just won the Golden Globe. For, Not for, for our, our show, movie. though, unfortunately. Oh. Well, I didn't, I didn't watch it. I think it was for Plantasm. You think it was? How is it possible that it wasn't for your show? I, it can't be. I don't know. It is. I mean, there's no way it's not for our show. But yeah, he played. Yeah, he played Elmer. He was awesome. And Peter Serafinowicz as the main villain. His name escapes me right now. His character Neil. name escapes me. Neil. Neil. But uh, yeah, Serafinowicz. And then we got Robert Smigel being it, and Tim Robinson, Natasha Rothwell. A lot of really just great people. Kyle Kinane, Joe Firestone, Lauren Holt. Just really. Fun, great comedic actors, stand-ups. Just we kind of wanted to just bring in a bunch of awesome people and let them do their thing. You, I mean, you've already had some awesome people that have been a part of this from the beginning. I mean, Dana Snyder, Carrie Means. What, what was it like to be able to bring everybody back for this thing? How easy is it to convince these people that hey, you want to come do more Aquatine? Because it seems like that's just one of those things where you just got to pick up the phone and ask. And it's yeah, done we, because it's so much fun. They, they weren't really into it. So they're sound alikes. We had to replace Carrie and Dana. So it's people that sound just like them. You're using are, AI. No. No, it wasn't AI. We just used some guy we found and he was great. And he can do both voices. So he's cheaper. So <laughs> no, look, it was so easy to get them back. They could not wait to come back and do this thing. And it was a, just a big thrill for everybody to get the band back together, as it were. They were excited about it. We had the same animators. We had the same editors that we've been working with for 20 years. And it was just like big reunion. I have to admit, though, one of my this is probably the most fun that I've had with the Moon Knights so far since the beginning. 
of the show. I loved what you guys did with the Moon Knights in this one. I didn't really, I don't really want to spoil anything there though, but kind of talk about the decision to bring them into Plantasm in such a unique way because I loved it. I think initially we were just we were just going to do the whole text thing and break in, but then it made perfect sense that that would be something that the Moon Knights would do. And plus, and we yeah, had bringing the movie up to like a big high point and not knowing what to do next. So we just break into it with the Moon Knights. We initially wrote a script that basically was supposed, like if you text that number, it just completely blows up your phone. Like your phone starts to get hot and starts <laughs> to vibrate all the time. And then it malfunctions. We were told legally that we were, we would not be able to do that. So we dialed it back a little. But that'll be that functional still be there for when it airs on HBO Max on February 8th and on Adult Swim on March 12th. There you go. There you go. Lawyers, they ruin all the fun, don't they? Come on. No, no, no. This is <laughs> I, I, I shout it from the rooftops. I've got a sticker on my car that says this. Nice, nice. Excellent. Excellent. So how much can you actually tell us about the future of Aqua Teen? I mean, given that, I mean, obviously you're back on HBO Max, you're back on Adult Swim. What's the future here? Could there be more movies in the works? Do we have another show in the works? We've heard about maybe some new episodes that are going to be coming in 2023. Yeah, we're doing new episodes now. In fact, we're recording number three Friday, and we definitely have more movies in the works. So new season, more movies. Excellent, excellent. Aqua Teen, Forever, Plantasm coming to HBO Max. So make sure you're watching it. You can also get it, by the way, if you love it that much. And I know you do 4K, Blu-ray and digital HD. It's available now as well. Matt, David, thank you guys so much for taking yeah. some time today, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Nice seeing thank you. Thank you. This is just one of those, another example of one of those fandoms that just refused to accept the fact that the show wasn't coming back anymore. And Aqua Teen fans were always all over cons and things like that. And it's one of those situations where Adult Swim, you know, took notice, listened, and then Plantasm was born and now the future is looking bright for Aqua Teen again. So can't wait to see what else they've got in store. But right now, of course, make sure you're watching Aqua Teen Forever, Plantasm, which is going to be on HBO Max on February the 8th and, of course, coming in March to Adult Swim as well. Again, thanks to Dave and Matt for joining me this week to talk about Aqua Teen Forever, Plantasm, and Aqua Teen Hunger Force as a whole. Up next, Ken Dare Blake going to join me to talk about a new Buffy book. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brianne Howie from Fox's The Passage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The next generation of Buffy is continuing. The second book in the series, actually, One Girl in All the World. It's the next generation of Buffy. If you've already read In Every Generation, this is the one for you to continue that story. And I have author Ken Dare Blake with me to talk about it this week. Ken Dare, how are you doing? Ken Dar, excuse I'm, me. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Now, obviously, Ken Dar, we want everybody to read every, In Every Generation, but can you actually enjoy this book if you haven't had a chance to read that one yet? You know, I mean, that's hard to say. I hope so. I think it contains a fun adventure. I kind of think of it as like seasons of the show. So if you're familiar with Buffy, there's like, you know, season one, big bad, season two, big bad. Can you watch season two without watching season one and still catch on? I think so. But is it more rewarding if you do them both? Also true. No doubt about that. Actually, talking about the Buffy fandom for a second, this, I mean, it's been going for 25 years strong now well after the series itself has gone off the air what is it about these stories and these characters 
you just feel continues to resonate with not just new fan, old fans, but new fans as well. I know, right? I wish that I knew that formula because I would be recreating it constantly and a multimillionaire. I don't know. It was perfect lightning in a bottle. The show had everything. It had those archetypical characters that formed together into this friend group that was so appealing. Uh, and everybody who watched the show wished they had a friend group just like the Scoobies. I mean, you had the nerdy girl, you had the funny guy, you had the hot broody boyfriend type. You even had the prom queen thrown in the mix. And who knew the prom queen would also become just an integral part of that friend group. So you have all of these things and then you combine it with a show that was so entertaining, so smart, so clever. Kind of the concept of teenagers fighting demons in high school is timeless and it has continued on for this long. No doubt. Not everybody catches the metaphor, but it's definitely there for sure. For sure. So do you kind of feel like, cause you've written in so many different genres throughout your career. Do you kind of feel like writing in those genres, like horror, fantasy, mythology, stuff like that actually helped you bring something unique and special to this Buffy universe? Funny you should say that because I tried not to bring anything unique and special to the Buffyverse. I tried to like, nobody wants a Buffy book by Kendara Blake. That's ridiculous. All you want as a Buffy fan is more Buffy. So my job in these books was actually kind of to disappear. I just had to nail the Buffy speak. I had to nail the tone of the Buffy verse. I wanted to make the books feel like lost seasons or lost episodes of the show that people already knew and loved. So I didn't throw any curveballs in there. And actually, if I was to think about my own writing, I think it's the other way around. Like watching Buffy as a teenager allowed me to bring certain things into my own stuff. And now it was my job to not bring that back. If it's not broken, don't fix it is basically what you're saying. That's that, that is very good on your part. I think that's amazing. There's obviously some familiar characters, Kendara, that, that are in your stories, but can we talk about the challenges of bringing new characters into the world of Buffy? Obviously you want to stay true to the story, like you just said, to please diehard fans. So what's the challenge when you bring new characters in? Oh, okay. The fandom is great right? I am so glad that the fandom continues to exist. And it's, it's comparatively a really nice and friendly fandom. But at the same time, I felt a lot of pressure to get I, can, I bet. Especially, I mean, okay, all right. So these characters have lived in our heads for seven seasons of the show. And then for many of us, they've lived on in our head canons for like 17 more. So not everybody's headcanon is the same. We kind of have different hopes and, and conjecture about our favorite characters. So going into it, I knew that I wouldn't be able to nail it for every fan. And for a while, that kind of like was heartbreaking. But I just had to forge ahead and hope that I got it as close to, you know, do as, as well as I could with it. Still scary, nope. though. Yeah, no doubt about that. Why? I would be scared to death. I can tell you that right now. I'm not sure I'd be able to do it. So you're, you're the brave one in this situation for sure. It feels like fans have taken Frankie though in, in your stories. And I really, really love that. Rightfully so, as a matter of fact. So she didn't exactly have an easy introduction into the Slayer life though. So where do we kind of find her at the beginning of One Girl in All the World? Right. I think when I heard the pitch, when uh, Disney, who now owns the rights to Buffy, brought me in and, and told me the pitch, I balked at it you know, as a Buffy fan, because when we find Frankie, she's been called to be the next Slayer, but she's been called because we think all the other Slayers, including Buffy and Faith and the Slayers we know are all dead. I was like, what? What are you doing to this girl? You're setting her up to be disliked. Trigger warning for fans too, by the way. Yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you're killing Buffy. You can't kill her. 
that was actually kind of an ongoing thread between me and the publisher when we were talking about what these books were going to be. I'd, I'd end all my emails with like, but Buffy's not dead, right? And they would just ignore me. But yeah, so even though Frankie is Willow's daughter, so she's a legacy character, that helps put her in, you know, people kind of already know, or they can guess what kind of person that she would be being raised by Willow, one of the greatest witches in the world, and having Buffy Summers as her aunt. So she's been, she grew up in this world of witches and demons and slayers, but still being all of a sudden part of it completely throws her. And she realizes that now she's a slayer and she's a witch and her mom and her aunt were the greatest of both. So what's she supposed to do with it? It gave me a really good jumping off point to figuring out who Frankie was. And she ended up being so such a fun character, so full of doubts and so delightfully different from Buffy that I think she's really your own. She's really your own character. Absolutely. You got a new Scooby gang in the stories as well, which I think is fun. It wasn't exactly the most experienced gang though when they first got together. So now that they've actually had some time, do you feel like they're going to be a little bit more of a powerful group in, in this time around? Yeah. Do you remember in season one, like how pretty much useless Willow and Xander were? When oh, they came very much fight? so. Yes. Like they did not <laughs> participate uh, very much, but then by the end of the series, like you can't imagine Buffy without them. Like where would she be without her Scoobies? So Frankie develops this new pod of Scoobies. And also she's got Spike as her watcher. She's got Willow on the sidelines as her mom. And she also has her quote unquote uncle Oz, who is the uncle slash cousin of one of her Scoobies, Jake, a young werewolf. So you have all of these original Scoobies providing guidance. And I think it made it easier for these new Scoobies to hit the ground running. Because I feel like in the book, in book one, they're smoother than, you know, Xander and Willow were in season one. I think that's fair to say. I think there's a pretty good assessment. Now, Kendar, sequels tend to bring even more powerful villains and bigger challenges as well. What can you tell us about the new threat or threats that we're going to be seeing in this story? Oh, geez. I went kind of wild. I knew this was the book where Frankie's faced her first big bad. She's got her Scoobies in place. So the threats really have to kick up and they have to be threats that are going to throw this new really bonded friend group for a loop like these friendships are new they're strong they're great how can i mess with them so that was a big challenge and the the big bad for the rest of the series so the next two books pops up in this book but also fans of the show will notice that a lot of familiar demon faces are making their way back to sunnydale and that was super fun. I tried to actually pull out a different de demon from each like each season of the show nice. to bring back in some way. Just gonna throw them right into the fire. You're like, yeah, you're you're good now. You've gotten a little a little bit under your belt. You're fine. Let's just throw everything at you at once. Yeah, seasons it's one fun. through seven. Let's do it. It's fun. Why not? So, is there a character though whose story you get to expand on a little bit more in this book, or just give a little bit more attention to that you didn't get a chance to do in the first book? I mean, everybody, a little bit. We go deeper with everybody. Uh, you see a little, we have a character named Sigmund, who's a half sage demon, who when Disney said, yeah, he's a half sage demon. I'm like, what's a sage demon? They're like, oh no. So I got to make up what a sage demon was, which was fun. But some of his family comes to town. You get a little bit more of his backstory and, and where he's coming from. But someone that I've always wanted to write a little more for were the Osborne werewolves. So I keep trying to wedge in this subplot about Oz and Jake and the Osborne werewolves into every book and every book so far it's been cut. So I, I tried to wedge it in again into book three 
and we'll see. We'll see if it sticks this time or if they're like, no, there's just no room. See, so, see, now we just need to get the red line edition after the fact, <laughs> you know, like the director's cuts, the author's cuts sort of thing. And then that way oh, we could get it in there. <laughs> if they let me do that, I would go wild because yeah. I mean, these are supposed to be Frankie's books, right? And the, the right. stories of the new Scoobies, but clearly the original Scoobies have so many more stories to tell. And if the books were longer, I would do like, you know, season-wide arcs for Spike, season-wide arcs for Willow. But since they're books, I had to focus, pare it well, down. Let's talk about that for a second, though, because obviously you said that the future is there's a couple more novels on the horizon. So is there a chance, maybe you, you talk about that, you feel like there are there, you know, spinoffs here possible from some of these as well? Because like you, like you said, you're not wrong that there's more stories here to tell. So could there be some spinoff possibilities? I mean, I think there's always spinoff possibilities when Buffy is concerned. And I, I always think there's more possibilities for like spinoffs on screen and reboots and requels on the screen. I know as fans, we've kind of all been waiting, you know, as we've seen everything get rebooted and everything get like bonus seasons. Every time somebody asks me about these books, they're like, well, what do you think? Do you think that's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. I have nothing to do with it. But of course, like you, I, I also hope so. So maybe. So we talk about the page. Let's talk about the screen for a second, because if, like you said, fans always ask, you know, hey, is this going to be a movie? Is this going to be a, a TV series or something like that? So, I mean, talk about, have there any discussions about that? Or do you, have you kind of already, have you started to fan cast some of this stuff in your head? Because when you're, when you're with these characters, you know, what you see in your mind, have you like started to fan cast any of these characters in your own head? I have not. I am notoriously bad about fan casting in like my own books. I have no idea. Everybody asks me like, who would play who? Who would play this? I'm like, I have no idea. So it is nice that many of the characters in these books are already cast for me. And when I'm visualizing them, I just see Allison Hannigan and James Marsters and Seth Green. So yeah, but that is definitely there. Okay, just to be upfront, there have been no conversations with me because. I'm just in the novel writing portion of it. I have nothing to do with TV adaptations. If they were to adapt One Girl in All the World, I would probably not be involved in it at all. I would just be joyful from the sidelines. But uh, since, it, like, when you think about the characters that are present in these books, like the original Scoobies, Willow, Oz, Spike, those are still actors who are still amazing and, and still around. So it's not like it could never happen. A lot of things would have to, you know, come together at the right time for it to work out. I just feel like a lot of these would jump at the chance to get back in this world. So I, I think fingers crossed, definitely can't rule out the possibility there. So Kendar, before I let you go, I got to ask because somebody's going to ask me, who is your favorite Buffy character all time? Lay it out there. Let's start some fights here. Who's your favorite? Okay. So I get to like fake cop out this because when I was watching the show originally, my favorite character was Willow. But as I've gotten older, my favorite character is Buffy. She's just amazing. And Sarah Michelle Gellar can do no wrong. Her portrayal of that character, I mean, she moves from slapstick hilarious to I'm going to save the world and scare the pants off you in the course of 30 seconds. Just extremely nimble. So yeah, first Willow and then Buffy. Before anybody tries to give you a hard time about that, you and I are on the same exact wavelength because I felt the exact same way. That you really? did exact same way. So, so there you go. So if anybody wants to give Kendar a hard time about that, stop it. I feel the same way. Come at me. So <laughs> you can get one girl in all the world in all the world right now is available wherever books are sold from Disney books. Make sure you're getting the first book in the series too. If you haven't already, that is in, in every generation, because this is the next generation of Buffy and you want to be a part of this thing. Kendar Blake, thank you so much 
for taking the time to chat with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, it's amazing to me how Buffy has lived on over the years. And you know, we've had comics telling Buffy the, the continuation of Buffy's story. You know, people continue to watch the series, whether it be new fans or old fans. And I just don't think enough people know that these books actually exist and the, the next generation of the story is just right there for the taking to continue this Buffy the Vampire Slayer story. And Ken Darblake does such a good job of weaving these new characters into this world, making it seem like a natural transition and already into the second book and knowing that there's two more coming. If you're a Buffy fan and didn't know about this, you need to jump on it right now. The new book, One Girl in All the World, is available right now wherever books are sold. Also digitally, too, by the way, if you want to go that route. Thanks again to Ken Darblake for talking to me about One Girl in All the World and all these new Buffy stories that are going to be coming up next. Hey, it's time to actually get to some reviews. Let's talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, now available on Digital HD. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Wakanda is finally coming home. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, now available on Digital HD, going to be available in physical media as well, Blu-ray, 4K, and all that stuff coming up on February the 7th. I thought now would be a good time to finally share my review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I should let you know that Walt Disney Home Entertainment and Marvel Studios did provide me with a free copy of this digital movie for review. All opinions here are my own, and I will say I've had a lot of time to mentally prepare myself for what was coming, knowing that T'Challa wouldn't be a part of this thing, knowing that they would have the send-off for him in this movie. And i got to tell you, just to get this out of the way, they just so beautifully not only honored T'Challa, not only honored Chadwick Boseman, just, but just visually, just the way it was written, the way things were acted, the way, you know, the reactions of that all the different characters had, like who was there, who, like Nakia not being there and all that other stuff. It was just the way that it was done, not just in the beginning of the movie, but throughout the movie, and how that wasn't the main theme of the movie, but it was underlying in a lot of different parts of the decision-making and things that were happening throughout. I thought it was a wonderful way to not only honor his memory and honor the character's memory, but to make it a part of this story and not just you know do, do what needed to be done and then forget about it sort of thing. I thought that that was a very, very good job by Ryan Coogler and everybody involved. And I know that she's taken some heat over the, over, over, you know, some stuff that was on social media and was said in interviews and things like that. But Letitia Wright did such a fantastic job as Shuri in this movie and all the, especially in the beginning and, and maybe a couple of spoilers here since this movie's been out forever. So maybe a couple of spoilers, but the fact that, you know, she was racing to save her brother's life in the beginning of this movie and didn't get there in time and actually wasn't there with her brother when he passed. And that is a big thing and is a major thing that sort of sets off the storytelling for Shuri here. And so she's got to carry not just the death of her brother, not just the fact that she feels like she's partially responsible for this, but the fact that she wasn't there, she wasn't with him when he took his last breath. That is That was a, a lot of big, big stuff that happened for Shuri and to see things come full circle for her and becoming the Black Panther eventually at the at the end of the movie and, and you know fighting the Atlanteans and Namor and all that other stuff and just you know kind of taking the reins of Wakanda, at least temporarily anyway, for as it were, 
it was just the way that whole transformation was done, that way the whole story was told, I thought was brilliant. And if you're wondering why Angela Bassett is getting all these awards nominations for playing Queen Ramonda and you haven't seen this movie yet, you'll understand once you see this movie. And the fact that, you know, she even says, you know, everything's been taken from me. My entire family's been taken from me. Even when Shuri was, you know, they thought Shuri was kidnapped at one point. And I guess she kind of was. Even when that happened, she didn't know whether her daughter was still alive or not. And that raw emotion of potentially looking at the fact that you just lost your entire family, especially in such a short span, you know, from losing her husband to losing her son to now maybe losing her daughter. It's just almost too much to bear. And then, you know, throwing the blame on Okoye for that. And partially that was, you know, that's fair. But then the raw emotion from Okoye when she gets stripped of her title and her rank and all those other things was, again, just incredible. There were so many just off-the-charts emotional moments and performances in this movie that weren't just, again, thrown in there. These, none of Nothing in this was thrown in. It all made sense throughout the course of the story and the way it was being told. And then when you bring Namor in and everything that's involved with that, and you sort of see, they sort of give him the, you know, yeah, you might think I'm a bad guy, but guess what? I'm doing this for a reason. I'm trying to protect my people. And it's so relatable to Wakanda. And it's so relate not just because of the vibranium connection between the two worlds. And, you know, of course, everybody in Wakanda was like, well, wait a minute. How do you have vibranium? I thought we were the only ones that ever had vibranium. So that was news to them, right? And then you, you, it almost seems like there's a connection. Like you wanted to protect your people. Hey, you outed yourself to the world. We don't want to do that. We want people to leave us alone and we're going to protect ourselves by any means necessary. And we're going to protect our vibranium because this is what we need for our for our livelihood and our, our longevity, especially for Namor's longevity. And they were willing to fight for that. And it was actually kind of refreshing to see when the when those battles were taking place with the with the Wakandans and the Atlanteans, the show of strength and the power of the Atlanteans and almost the surprise by the the Wakandans, but hold on a second. We should have been able to take these these people down easy. We're used to being able to, you know, kind of impose our will, being a strong fighting force, and then they see someone that maybe doesn't just match, but surpasses them in that regard. And the way they're taken aback by that, and they don't know how to deal with it. So the Wakandans are faced for the first time with something that they really don't know how to deal with and aren't sure that they're equipped to deal with by the way, either. So that was a really interesting part of this story too. And, and the action sequences kind of bore that out, especially the big action sequence at the end with the battles. And of course you see when Shuri finally becomes a Black Panther and she sees Killmonger, by the way. And I thought that was really interesting having Michael B. Jordan back and having that be the person that she saw in the vision. I thought that was really interesting. But then ultimately seeing her mother at the end and deciding to show mercy for Namor instead of killing him, which what she wanted to do in the first place. And again, hard to blame her for that too, by the way. So just so many great things that were done here and the way that this was put together. This movie, I, I had high expectations for it. I don't think you could not. But then the way it was presented and you see it actually play out and you keep waiting for that thing where you go, okay, well, here's a little bit of a misstep here. I didn't get that. Even the introduction of Riri Williams. At first, I'm like, well, why on earth is Riri Williams even a part of this? But then the way they introduce her with the, well, she 
you know, created the machine that was able to detect vibranium in the first place. And that's how, you know, the governments were able to find this, th this stuff and all this stuff. That's how they were able to find the Atlanteans in the first place. And you're like, oh, it makes sense. So now she's in danger because of that. And now the Wakandans either need to protect her or, you know, finds out what they can do with her. And then you see the bond that she starts to create with Shuri and Nakia and things like that. And Okoye to a certain extent as well. And the, she just fits right in to the story just so seamlessly. And by the way, the design of the suit was fantastic too, by the way. And setting up that series that's going to be coming up. Now that I see this, I'm more excited for the Ironheart series than I was before. So there's just the I was just so surprised and happy at the way that everything was so seamlessly fit together. And then if you want to talk about the special features that you get, whether it be on the Blu-ray or or the 4K or the digital HD, and you you know you see the envisioning of two worlds featurette that kind of highlights and the you know Namor's world and Wakanda and things like that, and of course the passing the mantle as well as another really good featurette. And then you've always got the fun deleted scenes that are involved here as well. And I just, there's so much to love about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and bravo to everybody involved. And apparently Black Panther's going to return. We'll find out what capacity that's going to be. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. But there's so many stunning performances, some great storytelling here. Black Panther for Wakanda Forever, now available on digital HD, coming to physical media on February the 7th. That'll do it for my review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Up next, got one more to go. Going to talk about Harley Quinn and the Joker Sound Mind, the new podcast. Talk about it next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Paging Dr. Quinzel. It is the Harley Quinn and the Joker Sound Mind podcast, which was, by the way, produced by Realm along with the folks at Spotify, you know, us being part of the Realm family, couldn't wait to talk about this podcast. And I want to do this really quickly, and, and all the episodes are out right now, by the way, but I don't think I'm going to drop too many spoilers on this in case you haven't got, gotten a chance to listen to it yet. But, I mean, Christina Ricci as Dr. Harleen Quinzel, that's something that I signed up for immediately when I learned about this podcast. I do want to give you a little bit of a heads up, though. If you're going into this thinking it's going to be these, you know, you know, bouncing around in the world, of the Joker and Harley Quinn. That is not what this is about. This is about Dr. Harleen Quinzel, her first meeting with the Joker and sort of, you know, the, the, the therapy process inside Arkham and how that relationship sort of started to form and what kind of drove Harley to be Harley Quinn in the first place. And the way that story is told and the way that she's pushed and poked and prodded. And, but here's the thing not manipulated. That's what's interesting about the story is that, you know, you, you look at stories like Mad Love and you look at, you know, the, some of the other stories that have been about Harley Quinn in the past where it started as Harley and Quinzel and there's some manipulation there. You could argue maybe that manipulation is a part of this as well, but I would say it isn't if you're really listening to what's going on here and paying attention to the story and the little subtleties about Harley's character, you'll understand that, you know, it was more like being pushed towards this persona more than anything else. And Christina Ricci does a great job at portraying that and just going down that road with Dr. Harleen Quinzel and Harleen Quinzel, the daughter, too, by the way, da Harleen Quinzel, the colleague, Harleen Quinzel, the woman who just wants to do her job 
and help get some of these criminals better. She wants to be that healing force in in the city of Gotham and not dressed as a vigilante sort of thing. She thinks that she can do this the right way and, and do it as a therapist. And that's what's interesting to me about the story. And there's also, it's not just about Harley Quinn and the Joker. You know, there's a Bruce, you know, Justin Hartley's Bruce Wayne in the story. And he plays a very interesting role in this, not just the fact that he's Bruce Wayne, but the fact that there's some very interesting things that happen in the last couple of episodes that kind of tie him to Harley and that, that I think is, it's almost like the last straw sort of thing. And that'll make sense once you listen to this. But, you know, I, I got to say, like Andre Royo does a great job as the ventriloquist. And you're thinking, why is the ventriloquist important in this story? Listen to it. You'll find out. Also, Magpie, Mary Holland plays Magpie in this. And again, Magpie, pretty decent part of the story as well. So you find these 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 other villains and these other residents of Arkham that work their way into the story and end up tying everything all together and their interactions with Harleen, you know, go a long way into shaping what ultimately ends up being her future. And of course, you know, her boss at, at, at Arkham is a part, is a part of that. And you've also, you know, that that's Grunfeld, by the way, that's, that's her boss in this situation. And you've also got her aunt is a part of this as well. And her family, there's so many moving parts to this thing. And of course, you know, her dad, but that's a, a, you know, a major, major part of the story that I don't want to spoil for you. There's just so many things that were done right about this show. And to be able to do this in seven episodes, I thought was pretty incredible to be able to tie this all together. And the, the ending, I will tell you this, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you. It will leave you wanting more. So prepare yourself for that. And I really hope that that ending means we're going to get more to this story and a continuation at some point. I felt the same way about Batman Unburied when we listened to that. It was like the first original podcast with DC and Spotify as a part of that deal. I really hope that this series continues as well. Harley Quinn and the Joker Sound Mind now streaming on Spotify. It's a quick seven-episode binge. I think you're going to love it. I certainly did as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to all of my amazing guests for joining me this week. You can always find out more about us at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook. Thank you, by the way, if you're one of the 500-plus followers that we now have on TikTok, at downandnerdypod, doing some fun and different stuff on TikTok. Really hope that you can go there and be a part of that. And remember, as always, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.